good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Good evening, ghost ghouls and goblins. Thank you for joining me on this, your season 14 opener. That gnarly piece of music you just heard was a version of our theme by musician Ali A. Mamirian at Plus Apex. A huge thanks to him for sending it over. And stuff like that really gives me the chills. So excellent work, Ali. I'll be sure to add this into the rotation. Now, as I briefly alluded to, tonight's episode is a special one. Not only is it our season 14 premiere, but it's also the long-awaited transportation special. An extended episode, all about stories involving transportation in one sense or the other. And let me tell you, the callers did not disappoint. So what do you say we get in the truck and get the show on the road? Beginning with this spook show from Pete in the Lone Star State of Texas. Hey, Derek. This is Pete from West Texas. I'm not sure if this qualifies as one of your transportation stories, but I got to tell you something that happened back in August of 2009. I'm originally from West Texas, Odessa specifically. And back then, I was a sergeant over the canine unit. And I had two new officers that when you get new officers, they get a new dog. So they have to go train with the dog and get acclimated with the dog. So they go to this six-week school in San Antonio, which is about five hours away from Odessa, more or less, give or take. So what the guys would do is the school was Monday through Friday, and when they'd get out on Friday, they would haul butt back to Odessa, spend the weekend with their families, and then uh, they'd have to be back by Sunday afternoon so they'd be ready for school Monday morning. This went on for six weeks. But anyway, back then, the department had just bought the guys brand-new Tahoes. And the entire back seat, the area where the back seat and the, and the back would be, like on a regular Tahoe, there was a full canine kennel, like a cage. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty neat deal. And the other thing, too, is the guys could communicate from vehicle to vehicle as long as you were out of town to where the radio wouldn't hit the tower. Because normally if it hits the tower, then all of us can hear it. Plus, the communication center records it. But if you're out of range of the tower, you can talk vehicle to vehicle and nobody else can hear it except you guys. Anyway, this happened on a Friday night. They were uh, coming back to Odessa from San Antonio. What happens is right at Ozona, Texas, which is on Interstate 10, they would cut north towards Big Lake, Texas. And that's a state highway, two lanes, one going, one coming, very desolate area. And... You had one officer following the other one. As they were headed northbound, something big and black came off the side of the road and headed directly at the lead officer, perpendicular. And he said he braced for impact because whatever this was, it was big and black on all fours. And he said he felt it was going to hit the vehicle. At the last second, this thing veered north, started running alongside his vehicle. And he said it was big and black and its back was up even with the passenger window. And I asked him, I said, 
when you looked over, what was it? And he said, I didn't look over. He said, I was so scared. I braced for impact. And he said, the hair stood up on my arms and the back of my neck. And I did not look over to see what it was. And it ran alongside for a few seconds, I guess. And then it veered back off to the right. So at this point, I asked him up at the officer behind him, the one following him. Oh, and by the way, he said he was going 75 to 80 miles an hour, which is very dangerous. I've taken that same trip before, and I, I've counted at least 21 deer just in that little section between Ozona and Big Lake. And what he said is, as they were headed northbound, and when the, right when this thing ran out at him, his dog, which had been asleep in the back in the kennel, jumped up, started barking and spinning in circles, going eight if you know what I mean. <laughs> so he, he picks up the radio, the microphone. He calls back to the officer behind him, and he said, what was that? The officer behind him replies, I don't know, and kind of gives him a nervous laugh. So he tells me to ask that other officer about it because he said he wouldn't talk about it. So the lead officer would talk about it, but he couldn't tell you what it was. But later in private, I spoke with the officer that was behind him, and he was right. He will not talk about it. I asked him in private. I said, what, what, what was that? What did you guys see? He's like, I don't know. And he kind of gave a nervous laugh. He said, I don't know, and I don't know, and that's it. And he won't say anything else. Like, he won't even describe it, whatever it was. They said this thing was on all fours, and it had a round-type head. So it was not any kind of horse or cow. It didn't have an elongated skull or head, not to mention the fact that they were hauling, you know what, 75 to 80 miles an hour, which there's not any horses or cows that can keep up with a vehicle that fast. Whatever this thing was, it was keeping up with a brand new Chevy Tahoe. That's why the lead officer, Lewis, was afraid to look over and see what it was because any four-legged normal creature wouldn't be able to keep up that fast. Whatever it was, it scared him pretty bad. It scared both of them. The officer in the rear wouldn't admit it. But I'm not saying this is related. I just got to tell you this, because this is important. Years later, that happened in August of 09. In February of 2011, by this point, I was listening to that nationwide show that comes on during the night. And they had an open lines night, and a guy called in. He was from Abilene, Texas, and he said, back in 89, him and his wife lived in Odessa, and they were driving to San Antonio one night, same stretch of road, big lake to Ozona. The only difference is they were southbound towards Ozona. My guys were northbound towards big lake. And he said he couldn't see good at night, so his wife would drive. He would stay up to keep her awake. And they saw something on the side of the road, left side of the road. It was big and black on two feet. And he said, he told his wife, did you see that bear? And his wife said, you know damn well that wasn't a bear. And then she said, did you see what it was holding? And he said, no. And she goes, it was holding a baby one. And its hair was a blondish yellowish color. So when he called in was February 2011. My guy's thing happened August of 09, and the caller said their incident happened in 89. He didn't say what month. I don't know. Take it for what you will. Not saying that what my guy saw was that, but 
he said what they saw was a Bigfoot. And I know West Texas, there's no trees, there's no water. So make it for what you will. There you go. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you, Pete. You know, typically, I imagine one feels safe in a vehicle. At least safe from outside intruders. There's windows, there's locks. Safety precautions. But especially while barreling down a highway. But apparently that's not the case in Texas. They got things down there that'll grab moving vehicles. But when it comes to big feet, Sasquatl, one doesn't typically think of the state of Texas. But many might not realize that the state has more than a few reports of the big guy over the years. East Texas, more specifically, the big thicket area, has long held rumors of hairy beasts residing within its cypress-choked swamps. In 1969, visitors to the Lake Worth area near Fort Worth, were greeted by a massive, man-sized white creature, some believed to be a Sasquatch. Hell, there's even a town there called Bigfoot, Texas. Although named after a Texas ranger, rather than the brooding beast. Then, of course, there's this incident that occurred on the outskirts of San Antonio back in 2009. If you're a long-time listener to the program, I shared the following audio on my second-ever episode. Though truth be told, I don't recommend listening that far back. Let's just say that the show has come a long way. And luckily, you don't have to, because I'm about to play that audio right here. The following clip is a condensed version of a 911 call made to the authorities by a homeless couple living in a tent just off Highway 151 and Loop 1604, outside of San Antonio. What they reported should intrigue you as much as it frightens you. San Antonio, I'm on duty, police, fire, or EMS. I'm not real sure, ma'am. Um, I just watched the biggest critter, it was a critter, but it, it smelled real bad. I'm a homeless female. I live right in the middle of the woods. And I'm 151 to the north of Claiborne, 1604, where the light is. Uh-huh. This big thing was 75 feet away from me, smells awful, devoured a whole deer carcass, and then took off and, like, screamed, screeched, and took off across the street. And I know you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm dead serious. There was something very big, bigger, a lot bigger than me, <laughs> out here. So, I just thought somebody should know. I really okay. don't know what you can do about it. Um, how long ago did this happen? This is, um, I won't, like, immediately, like, I just, yeah. I don't know if animal control, I mean, it's... Okay, huge. again, now tell me, where was it, this is at 151 and Calibra? Now I've linked to a full version of this 911 call in the show notes, if your interest is piqued. And I'm aware that this 911 call isn't necessarily connected to the transportation theme of this episode, although the couple was living just off a freeway. 
but I shared this for another reason. The location of the couple's experience is northwest of the city of San Antonio, directly in the path to Odessa, Texas, the destination of the unfortunate witnesses in Pete's entry. And get this, both of these experiences occurred in the year 2009. So is that a coincidence or something a little more tangible? I'll let you make that determination. And thank you, Pete, for that incredible entry. Now, folks, if you have a story you would like to share on the show, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, then, next up, we venture to the state of Indiana where Brandon has an entry waiting for us. Hi, Derek. This is Brandon from Indiana again, calling this time with a more on-time transportation story. So prior to working at the hospital from my last story, I worked as an in-home traveling installation slash computer repair person for Geek Squad in the state of Indiana. And right before I quit that job, I found myself in northwestern Indiana, up near West Lafayette, and it was in the early spring. It was it was kind of the rainy season, I guess you could say. We were starting to get some rain, and I had to make the drive up to West Lafayette, so it was quite a long drive. And in the morning, I drove past a little church, and the church itself it was fairly old. I mean, so old that I didn't see any sort of like sign or anything like that outside of it. It was a little like a single room style church. And there was a graveyard in the back. And this church and the graveyard and the land backed up to maybe a river, kind of a creek. I'd really say it was probably more of a creek because it looked like it was really only full when it rained. So I distinctly remember that morning driving past it. And again, you're talking rural Indiana. I'm in the middle of the cornfields. It's rainy. It's a little foggy. You know, it's it's kind of spooky. So I go about my business that day and it was a very dreary day. I mean, it rained on and off pretty much all day. It was very overcast. So it's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon and I am making my way back home. I'd finished all my jobs for the day and I was driving back to my house and I had to take the same route past that church again. So I'm going through some old rural roads, really. Uh, They're paved and everything, but I mean, you're kind of in the thick of nowhere. Most of the towns out there are one-stop sign towns, you know, five or six houses kind of scattered. It's, It's very monotonous, empty space. So I'm driving back by and I get towards the bridge. And again, from the first angle, when I drove past it the first time, I couldn't quite tell, but the cemetery in the back of the church. There was a bunch of headstones. Some of them were kind of lopsided. Some of them backed up to a point where there was effectively just a drop into this creek. And again, it had been raining all day. The water was, it was rushing by. Dirt and stuff like that had been washed away. You can kind of see the mangled roots of a particularly old looking tree kind of precariously hanging over amongst all of these graves. And as I'm driving by, I see someone standing not under the tree, but kind of slightly off to the side of it. So they would be effectively standing out in the rain. And I thought it was kind of odd. The person was kind of a taller gentleman, 
He was wearing all black, and he had a very, like, a wide-brimmed hat. He looked like a preacher, right? I, I would think, like, a stereotypical preacher from maybe, like, a Western movie or something like that. He had kind of, like, a wide-brimmed black hat on. He had, like, a black kind of a, a suit jacket on, black slacks kind of nondescript facial features. I mean, he had like a, uh, like a mustache, like a goatee kind of setup going on. Again, the whole thing made me think very much like Wild West, almost like 1800s in his attire. And he's just kind of looking at me. I mean, he didn't like look see-through or, you know, there wasn't anything off about him other than the fact that he's kind of standing in this old graveyard next to what I am assuming is an abandoned church in the middle of the rain, you know, just kind of watching traffic. And it's a, it's a very empty road. I mean, I hadn't even passed any other cars or anything like that. The bridge kind of, it's a little bit longer. So, you know, I had time to like look at the guy. And again, the guy kind of was still just kind of looking at me. I kind of thought maybe he's like a caretaker of the church or something like that. Not really sure. But as I kind of get past the church, I realized there's no cars. You know, there's nothing in the church parking lot. I mean, this church was so old, it didn't even look like it had any sort of like gravel parking lot or drive to speak of. So I kind of was driving along and it struck me as weird because, again, this is a very wide stretch of road with nothing there. I mean, there's no houses. There's barely a town. I think the closest town was probably like two or three miles up the road. And so I'm just driving by and I'm like, man, that was a, that was kind of weird. And I look up in my rear view mirror and I kind of adjust my rear view mirror because I could still see where the guy would have been standing. And he just wasn't there. It was one of those things where I looked up and was like, okay. That's odd. Maybe the person went into the church or something like that. But I mean, you know, it's a, it's a back road. I was driving maybe 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour. And in the time of me kind of cresting the bridge and, and driving past the guy, there wouldn't really been a whole lot of places that the guy could have ran to, right? He was too far away from the church that he could have ducked in. There wasn't like a back door on the church. Again, it was like a one room, one entrance, really old church house. I think about it a lot because it was just very weird, you know, standing in the middle of this kind of graveyard, this old, old graveyard. I mean, it probably would have been from the 1840s, 50s, maybe even earlier. I, I couldn't tell you, but I've never been back up there. I, I quit that job and actually started working at the hospital not long after. I've always thought about going back up there, but I just haven't. So I hope you can use this again. I uh, love the show. Uh, have a great one. Thanks, Brandon. That's the thing about the road. You never know what you're going to encounter around the next bend. Bigfoot. A ghostly preacher. We're liking this next call from Troy in Michigan. Something nearly unexplainable. Hey, Derek. My name is Troy, and I'm calling on behalf of my mother, Cindy, for the Season 14 Transportation Special. Her encounter took place in Montana in 1975 and for context she says that there was a rash of Bigfoot sightings and cattle mutilations and this was about eight years after the Malmstrom Air Force Base UFO incident so as she tells the story she was driving uh, at night it was a stormy night so it was really heavy rain between Lincoln Montana and Clearwater Junction she was with her friend Lori they just graduated high school, and they had just gotten off a late-night shift at a dinner nightclub in Ulm, Montana. They were driving down Highway 200 in Montana. They were kind of sandwiched between an 18-wheeler in front of them and behind them, so it was the 18-wheeler, then their little car. 
and then 18 of the behind them. And according to my mother, the rain was sudden and torrential, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. So they were driving fairly close to the shoulder. And as she describes it, the passenger side window suddenly fell open. And as she describes it, just inches outside of the window was what they described as a person. How she told it to me, uh, time was time was slowed, and the person seemed to be hovering outside their car that was going 55. And they described the person as wearing a World War One gas mask, you know, large. Uh, black eyes and a small round mouth. They were both so terrified that they had to pull over as soon as they could at Clearwater Junction. They just kind of passed this person on the road and either of the semis responding to this person standing very close to the road. When they got to the uh, Clearwater Junction, my mom says the bartender looked at them and said, she remembers this phrase uh, very clearly, it looks like you've seen a ghost and gave them each a shot of peppermint schnapps on the house. They could never explain it. Her friend Lori refused to talk about what happened ever again. And there's kind of a follow-up to this. In 1987, my mom came across the book Communion, and she said it felt like her heart stopped beating when she saw the alien on the cover because it looked exactly like what she described as a World War One gas mask. And when she showed her friend this book, uh, Lori said to never talk about this again. It's the only story that I've ever heard that legitimately gives me chills. And it stands out in her mind even to this day. And so I figured I would uh, share it with you guys. And maybe someone around that time had uh, a similar experience. And if they did, I'm sure she'd love to hear it. Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work and can't wait for season 14. Awesome stuff, Troy. Thank you for sharing your mother's experience. Now, Troy brings up an interesting concept. The concept that a gas mask and an alien gray's face are similar in appearance. That's certainly not something I'd ever thought about before. But now that he said it, it's hard not to make that comparison. And for those of you that heard him mention Communion and didn't know what he was speaking of, it's a 1987 book by Whitley Strieber that features the face of an alien gray on the cover. A face that terrorized most anyone that saw it in the 1980s and 90s. A face I can't help but think we are now desensitized to. Perhaps to our own detriment. Now, if you're not familiar, I've linked to the image in tonight's show notes. Go to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the show notes tab and have a look yourself. In the meantime, that's great stuff, Troy. Thanks again for taking the time to share. Now, folks that have been trying to purchase from our merch shop, uh, you may have missed the announcement from the previous episode, but we've been on break. But the good news is, we're open and fully stocked now. Well, mostly stocked. We're still working on getting things in. But if you're looking for a t-shirt, now's the time. Head on over to monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on that shop tab. Now you guys may as well get settled in. Because we're going to be here for quite a while. I wasn't kidding when I said folks really pulled through. Folks like this anonymous caller 
out of the state of New York. Hi, Derek. I sent you an email previously about my husband and I experiencing a close encounter with a UFO when we were teens. And I mentioned that my husband had a lot of strange experiences. And today I wanted to share one of them uh, for your transportation episode. This was back when he was still my boyfriend, when we were in our 20s and living in New York City. My husband and I had one night met up with some friends for a night downtown. We were living on the Upper West Side of New York, and the event was down in the Soho neighborhood. I was in graduate school and working at a coffee shop for money and had a 5 a.m. shift start the next day. Even though it was a weekend and I would like to be out, I went home around 9 or 10 p.m., leaving my husband out with our friends to enjoy the night. At that time, the subways in New York ran till 4 a.m., but it was around 1 a.m. when my husband decided to call it a night and go home. Our friends were staying out, so he left on his own, catching a northbound train around West 4th Street. He noticed nothing strange when he got on the train, the usual crowd of people coming and going to and from bars and restaurants. This was a popular line that ran through the whole of Manhattan, making stops through Greenwich Times Square, Columbus Circle, and other popular destinations. It was late, and after a long day and a few drinks, he quickly fell asleep on the train. I need to note that my husband can fall asleep anywhere. It's his superpower. And falling asleep on the train was a guilty pleasure of his. Day or night, he had more than once woken up at the end of the line, only to have have to ride an hour back to our apartment. Anyway, after a bit of being on the train, my husband woke up to the train being stopped at Times Square. He wasn't sure how long he'd been sitting, but he felt that it had been a while. Then, as he really woke up, he began to notice that no one else was on the train. No one else was on the platform. No one was coming or going, which was unheard of at the Times Square top, where three subway lines merged. He freaked out, thinking he must have fallen asleep for a few hours and that perhaps this was the last stop on the train. So, in walking the station, he said that the space was dead silent and eerie, again, seeing no one. As he exited the subway, he said that it was almost as if the world had been on pause and suddenly someone had pressed play because above ground, Times Square was crowded, loud, busy, and suddenly people were coming and going past him through the subway entrance. He asked some police officers at the top of the exit what time it was, and it turned out it was only about 15 minutes past getting on the train. So he assumed the silence must have been a coincidence, and he went back down into the station, wiped his card, and hopped back on the train where he again saw no one. This time staying awake and still a little unnerved, the doors closed and the train began to move. At the next station, though, my husband had watched the train leave Times Square and start north through the tunnel. And when looking out the windows of the platform at the next stop, he was again back at Times Square. Still no people in the car, no people exiting the train or on the platform. He freaked out again, jumped off the train, felt like he was going completely crazy standing in the unsettled silence of the platform, and then hightailed it out of there again, seeing no one, and so the world came back to life upon leaving the station. He went back up to the officers and asked them whether there was any changes to the line, as often there were on weekends, and they indicated knowing of none. He said no more, fearing that they would think that he was incredibly insane or on drugs and taken somewhere, and so instead he gathered his courage and headed back down into the station. He swiped his card, noting that this was his final ride that he had prepaid on the card and re-entered the station, again, finding absolutely no one. He got on the train again, and he swears the same thing happened. The doors closed, the train left. It went into the tunnel between stations and emerged again at the same exact place, all with no other people in view. This was the last time he left the train in the station, 
Um, and instead, he ran 61 blocks home to our apartment. He got home at 4 a.m., three hours after leaving our friends downtown. I know the time because he ran straight into the apartment, sprinted into the bedroom, jumped in bed, and was squeezing me tight, shaking. This has never happened before and has never happened since. I've never seen him so scared. So, glitch in the matrix? We really have no idea what happened. That experience had never happened before and never happened since, but was very unnerving, understandably. So um, I hope that you can use the story, and thank you so much for the time. Thank you, caller. How unnerving. There's something extra creepy about it, knowing that so many people are nearby, yet none seem to notice the odd occurrences. It's almost as if he was suffering in plain sight. Now, I do not have any sort of logical answer for this mystery. To the contrary, I have no idea what happened to our caller's husband that night. But it did remind me of some clever subway pranks that I saw on YouTube a few years back. A few sets of identical twins fooled an entire car with a carefully executed time travel prank. I, of course, linked to it in our show notes. But like I said, I don't think the husband was a victim of some sort of prank. But after seeing the twin subway prank clip again, I suppose you never know. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share that one. Now let's venture on over to my neck of the woods and into my old stomping grounds. Almost literally. The location of this next entry is less than a mile from the Beverly Hills office I worked out of for almost a decade. Please welcome Meg from California to the show. Hey Derek, my name is Meg and I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I have a transportation story for you. This actually happened two days ago while I was coming home from my in-law's house with my wife. It was about 11 p.m. at night. My in-laws live in Beverly Hills, and I live in Santa Monica. The drive is about 15, 20 minutes, and you can either take the highway or you can take Sunset Boulevard. So Sunset Boulevard between Beverly Hills and Santa Monica is very, very windy, and there's not a ton of houses around. There's some houses kind of set back, but all you can really see is their gates kind of just driving through trees and like I said it was Saturday night 11 p.m. my wife was driving and as we're driving up the road it's a double yellow lined road so there's actually quite a bit of traffic going through it for it being so late at night I saw like this white flash kind of and it looked like white feet and like a white kind of like dress type thing in the middle of the road and I kind of just brushed it off for a second because I thought I just there was like a reflection or something and my wife was like did you see that girl in the middle of the road and I was like yeah okay there was someone standing there right and she was like yeah there was a girl standing there and she was in a white dress and wearing a construction vest like the orange and yellow reflective vest and she's swaying so we were like should we call the police like I don't know and ultimately we decided to call because of bystander effect and so we called the police and gave the description and probably about two three minutes later we saw the cop car go by us 
And we got a call back from the police very quickly asking us like where exactly we had seen the girl. It was between Bellagio Road, for people who live in L.A., it was between Bellagio Road and Hillgard Avenue, kind of beside UCLA campus. So we gave them, like, more specifics, and they were like, there's no one there. Like, we don't see any girl anywhere. I was like, okay, maybe, like, I jokingly was like, oh, maybe we saw a ghost. And that freaked my wife out because my wife is, like, petrified of the paranormal. She has, like, weird trauma from her childhood with paranormal, which maybe I'll call it out some other time. But she has a dash cam, and so I got all excited because I was like, well, you would have caught her on the dash cam we were driving by and my wife was like yeah we definitely would have so I pulled the camera down and I went to look at the previous footage and the camera came up with no media available so for some reason the camera like stopped recording and strangely enough when I got in the car the camera's kind of like right in front of the passenger I was like staring at it and like fully noticed it was recording and watching the road while my wife was driving was so I know for a hundred percent sure the camera was recording And I just wanted to know if anyone in L.A. has heard of maybe someone getting killed on Sunset, a woman getting killed. We know she had dark brown hair. My um, wife saw the back of her head. I didn't see her hair. She had, like, very white legs and feet to me. But my wife disagrees with me. She said she couldn't tell, like, skin tone. But that's what I feel like I saw. But she saw a lot more of her than I did. So I just want to see if anyone in L.A. has heard of anyone maybe being killed on Sunset Boulevard around that area because the police couldn't find her. And it was kind of a secluded, in a weird way, area. There's a homeless problem in Los Angeles, obviously. But you kind of really have to, like, trek to, like, get to where it was. But, yeah, so if anyone knows anything, uh, that would be great. We'd love to figure it out. Thank you, Meg. I know that road quite well and it's an eerie stretch of street at night. Well, as eerie as you can get in the center of the West Coast's largest metropolitan area. The Indian laurel fig trees that line the road reflect stark white in the headlights, and the lock gates of celebrity homes, one after another, do nothing to ease the tensions in the atmosphere. And believe it or not, this area does have a certain reputation. The comedy store, long rumored to be haunted, the Viper Room, once owned by Johnny Depp, is the place where actor River Phoenix expired. And of course, down the strip just a bit, into the city of Beverly Hills, and in the direction of Meg's experience, is a little-known spot with a big reputation. The Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle. Okay, here it is, the intersection of Linden and Whittier. This is it. Welcome to the Bermuda Triangle of Beverly Hills. Let's check it out. Okay, so at first it doesn't look like much, just an anonymous triangular traffic island in the middle of Beverly Hills, but very strange things have happened here. Starting in 1946, when eccentric aviator Howard Hughes accidentally remodeled that house back there by crashing a plane into it. Another brush with death here was famous singer Jan Berry of the duo Jan and Dean, who had an awful car accident here. And just two years prior, the band had had a hit single with the song Dead Man's Curve. And then there are the murders. Famous gangster Bugsy Siegel was the head of a group known as Murder Incorporated. Anyway, he was shot to death in the house right there. 
Nine bullets came sailing in through the window. Two hit him in the head, killing the mobster immediately, and the crime was never solved. And those are just a few of the cases. In fact, so many odd things have happened right here that psychics actually claim they can feel the negative energy. That clip courtesy of Josh Gates tonight on Discovery. And he visits the site in the full video. So if you're interested, go have a look. But you know what's crazy here is that the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle is less than 800 feet from the section of Sunset Boulevard that Meg spoke of. So again, a coincidence or something more. Oh, and that song that Josh mentioned in the video, Dead Man's Curve by Jan and Dean. Well, you guessed it, it's over in the show notes. And thanks again, Mag, for sharing that experience. I'll be sure to keep my ears open for similar reports. And I'll certainly keep my eyes open next time I'm cruising down Sunset Boulevard. Now, wasting no time here, because we have none to waste, we must power through this monstrous episode. Pun probably intended. So doing just that, we work our way east to New Mexico, where our next anonymous caller is waiting with his entry. I'm calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I thought this would be a good follow-up for your transportation episode. I've been slowly going through your back catalogs, and I can't remember if this was Season 10, Episode 8, or Season 8, Episode 10, but there was a gentleman on that episode who talked about how he felt like he was shifting into a parallel world, and one of the things that was a major difference was the cars. This didn't happen to me, but I think I saw it happen to somebody else. Like I said, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and when you're coming west into town on I-40, you go through what we call the canyon, and it is a pretty narrow, really windy road, and as you come around a certain curve, the city sort of opens up in front of you, and I was driving that way with my family on a clear night about three years ago, about 10 p.m. so dark not a lot of cars on the road and i'm coming around that bend as the city opens up in front of you and all of a sudden this car pops up next to me what felt like out of nowhere what immediately struck me about this car was that i didn't recognize the make or model it had an oddly shaped back window it was sort of at a 45 degree angle up in front the driver's side of my car had a weird teardrop almost shaped back window spread out to the full width of the car but came down to a point at the bottom and the insignia on it was almost a stylized s with a geometric pattern around it i have no idea what it was never seen it never seen any sort of car like i said that looked like this but the other thing that struck me was the driver i could see him as we went under street lights driving into the city and he just looked panicked he was looking back and forth left and right really quick made eye contact with me a couple times and just looked lost and freaked out and I was on the road with him for about two minutes watching him, and he had that same posture the entire time, just frantically looking around, until finally I turned to the right to tell my wife something in the front seat, turned back, and the car was completely gone. Uh, anyway, I thought that that would be a good follow-up for what that other gentleman described happening to him, and also transportation-related. Anyway, thanks. Appreciate all that you do with the show. been fantastic working through your back catalogs, and I uh, liked your presence on uh, Paranormal Cotton Camera. Anyway, have a good one. Thank you, caller. 
Of course, he's referring to Ray's entry from Missouri from back in Season 10, Episode 8. The time slip story about a unique car with three headlights. A make and model Ray assumed could only be from the future. Or perhaps an alternate past. And these two aren't the only reports of this sort of thing taking place. We also received another call from the Chicago area that also reported a strange vehicle with a wide-eyed driver, this time with cartoonishly large tires. Now, I'm not real sure what to make of these stories. But after each one had aired, I received dozens of emails explaining how the vehicles seen are rare, but they do exist in our plane of existence, suggesting they were not somehow slung through the walls separating us from another alternate dimension or timeline. Yet each caller, including tonight's, seemed genuinely confused by what they saw. Spooked, I might even say. So it's not so easy to simply dismiss these tales altogether. So we'll continue doing what we always do. Collecting data. Contrasting, comparing, and keeping an open mind. Thank you again, caller, for adding another data point. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It's easy to get stuck. You find yourself dwelling on your problems rather than figuring out how to solve them. And it's easy to fixate on the negative, too. And I think we can all agree there's no shortage of that these days. But there are methods to help cope with everyday struggles. Therapy has personally given me the tools to become a better problem solver and manage the ups and downs of life in a healthier way. And I'm betting it'll also do the same for you. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat therapy sessions. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. So you can connect with your therapist from anywhere. Get matched with a therapist that is right for you. Simply fill out a brief survey. And you can switch therapists at any time. If you've been thinking about therapy, take this as your sign to get started now. And I know you'll be glad you did. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the route. Now, how many of you have seen the 1980 John Carpenter film, The Fog? Or maybe it's 2005 remake. Well, remember that vibe for this next entry. By Sam, in the land of steady habits. Hi, Derek. I'm calling in for the transportation special. My name is Sam. I'm calling from Cheshire, Connecticut. This story took place in August night. I was driving home from my girlfriend's house to my parents' house where I was staying at the time. And it's a clear night. You can see stars in the sky, everything like that. I'm driving along. I get to the stop sign at the end of her street. And I see a ball or a shape of fog just like sort of form in front of me. And it triggers the automatic brakes on my uh, Ford Escape that I drive. 
I know it can stop because there's water particles in the fog that it thinks is a solid object, which would trigger the automatic stopping. But it triggered the automatic stopping, brought my car to a complete stop. I'm sitting there and I'm just staring at this fog. And the weird thing is I can see the form of legs like appearing in the fog in front of me as if it's a person or the fog is sentient or something like that. I just thought it was a weird encounter and was wondering if anybody had seen or experienced something similar. I'm a big fan of the show. It's really reignited my passion for the paranormal and cryptids and all that. Thank you so much for your time, and I was happy to call in. Have a good one. Thank you, Sam. You know, at one point, we covered a series of videos over a paranormal caught on camera that seemed to depict a similar experience. Now, I haven't seen the actual episode covering this, but we filmed a segment about two videos, both involving Teslas, Both clips, one taken in a crosswalk and one in a cemetery, seem to show what could only be perceived as a ghost in the car's collision detection system. The quote-unquote ghosts appeared on the screen of the vehicle, suggesting that whatever unseen entity was there was standing in front of the vehicle, but could not be seen with the naked eye. Now I've linked to one of those videos if you want to have a look. And I'm not an engineer or a computer guru. And I wasn't there. But if I were to guess, the system is likely bouncing off of tombstones or other foreign objects and making that split decision that it must be a human standing there. But Sam's entry is much different. Not only did Sam's car see something, but he did too. And what he saw was the stuff of nightmares especially for anyone venturing down a long, foggy stretch of roadway. So great stuff, Sam. We really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Now this next one is a twofer from Zach in Minnesota. Welcome to the program, Zach. Hey, Derek. Calling in for the transportation episode. My name is Zach, and I'm from Minnesota. I've actually got two stories for you today. I apologize for sounds if I'm reading this from a piece of paper because I am. Had to put it all down on paper to organize my thoughts. I drive for public transportation, city bus, all that sort of stuff. And both of these stories are from my time in the bus. Story one is about a phantom passenger I had. So a big part of driving bus is you got to be aware of who gets on and off your bus. Homeless people tend to like to sleep and stay on the bus and it creates unsafe conditions for other passengers. Well, one day, I want to say back in 2018 summer, I was doing my route through St. Paul when I had to stop request beep. I didn't think I still had anybody on my bus since I had just done a pretty big drop-off at the St. Thomas College. And when you do the bus routes, you kind of, you get the same people every day. You know, people going to work or school or something like that, so you tend to remember who gets on and off your bus and where. So I was a little confused. The man who exited my bus was dressed like he was straight out of the 1950s. Suit, he's a young man too. I would say he couldn't be more than 21 years old. Guy got off my bus like it was nothing, just perfectly normal. And I should mention that he got off on the sidewalk. It was just typical city sidewalk, open houses up on the hill there. So it wasn't any weird, like he disappeared. He walked off my bus and 
went on about his day. Well, it, it just bugged me sure <laughs> the entire time that I had zero memory of him getting on my bus and just how out of place he kind of looked. Story two is one that has kept me up at night. I'm driving early in the morning, and this is up in Maplewood, for anybody who knows Minnesota. And anybody who knows just deer in general, know that they're everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in the suburbs or the rural area or even the city, deer are going to be everywhere. So I'm sitting at a red light, and I see a buck up the road where I'll be driving soon. This thing is not walking, right? It's got this weird gait to its step that it's like it has messed up body proportions, like its limb to body proportion isn't right, and that's the best way I can explain it, to be honest. I end up continuing up the road, and this thing just beelines my bus. It goes into a full-blown charge, antlers forward and everything, as if my bus is some sort of threat to it. And it, you know, trigger warning for those listening, I hit the crap out of the thing going like 45 miles an hour. I stopped the bus to make sure my passenger that was on board is okay. And I go to check out the damages to my bus. That's when this buck gets back up off the ground, but it's standing on two legs. It looks me right in the face and it runs off into this little pocket of woods that was near the road. I ran back into the bus as fast as I could. If you've ever had the feeling, or you could imagine the feeling of your heart stopping, beating as fast as it could possibly could at the same time, that's how I felt. I looked at the man on my bus and I asked him, like, did you just see that? And sure enough, he was wide-eyed and said, yeah, what the hell was that? Once my heartbeat calmed down, <laughs> I called in the base and told them I hit a deer, just standard procedure, and I didn't tell them anything other than that. Our bosses do have cameras, and I asked my manager, I'm like, go back and look at that tape and tell me if I'm seeing what I thought I saw. And I told her the story, and she gets back to me, and she's like, they won't give us the tape. I would have loved to send that tape into you, but it's in the state's hands and they don't want to give it up. She said she was able to see it. She showed me it on um, what I saw. And she's like, same thing. What in the world is that? That's my story. Um, thank you for this program, Derek. You have a good day. Thank you, sir. All right, the Phantom Passenger story is pretty creepy. But let's be honest. We're all focused on the deer-like creature. What the hell was that? And did I hear this right? It stood up and ran off on two legs. Now as wild as this entry is, imagine my surprise when I found a second transportation entry featuring a freakishly large deer. Please welcome Aubrey from Florida to the program. Hey Derek, this is Aubrey. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm actually a Patreon member and really enjoying everything. Thanks for putting out the work there. This is for the transportation and I have a report on, it's basically a giant deer. And this is somebody I had interviewed 
for a uh, article. I do research and investigation, but more of talking to people who have experiences. This took place in upstate New York, in Albany, New York, and basically two guys were driving from the Bronx and they had a little bit of uh, car trouble. They didn't have the GPS at this point. Between them maybe getting lost and uh, having a flat tire, they ended up being on some of the back roads going up to Albany, New York. It was a college up there. And they came across this deer, but not really a deer. They say it was 12 foot tall. It was black and silver, but they're not really sure it was black and silver. And it was interesting because as they pulled up, the lights were on it, the eyes were all white, and the antlers were very curvy. He described it kind of as like a pretzel, and it really just took one or two steps out, and it was already in the middle of the road. It was tall, but it was also really wide. They didn't get any type of feeling from it or anything like that, more of kind of just awe. I don't know, they kind of felt of it as being more of a spear animal. But they're absolutely sure that it wasn't a deer and it wasn't an elk because an elk, the tallest, gets up to nine feet and definitely not a moose from talking with them. That was about it from his account. I did some research on it and there's not really much about deer like that. There's like deer women that you get from Native American stories and such. And there is this whole, you know, spear animal that it wasn't white though. Because I know that's the thing. Also, its face. Its face was more flat. My thought is that it could be kind of maybe a genetic anomaly, possibly. Also, seeing that maybe a thousand, two thousand years ago, there was, you know, the, the megafauna in this area and things like that. So it could have been a throwback from there. They didn't report anything weird afterwards or before, and they were in good mind state. So just a really crazy cryptid being seen. I haven't really heard anything about giant deer being seen in those parts. Anyway, I hope you can use this. And it's just great to listen to unique reports of uh, people's experience and just let them kind of speak for themselves. So Derek, I really appreciate you doing that, especially as somebody myself who does paranormal research and investigation and interviews and things like that. It's uh, really great to listen to. And that's all. Have a good day. Night. Bye. Thanks, Aubrey. You might want to tack a few thousand years onto your estimate, though. Most of North America's megafauna, the mastodon, smilodon, giant ground sloth, dire wolves, short-faced bear... They all went extinct over 10,000 years ago. Much more than one or two. Not that it matters, though. A creature of that size should not be found in any of North America's wild places. Not anymore. Nor should they be ramming our public transportation. But that's an issue for another day. Now, if I'm honest, I don't know what to make of either of these calls. And I can hear some of you shouting into your radios. The Wendigo. You're talking about the Wendigo. And here's why I'm going to say no to that theory. The Wendigo never had antlers. At least according to the people that originated the legend. 
If you don't believe me, take a doctor's word for it. You might have seen the Wendigo depicted as a stag-human hybrid, a human with antlers, or even with ram horns for ears. There is no evidence of this in all the Algonquian people's versions. The image of the antlered Wendigo seen in Hannibal and Pet Cemetery actually originates in the film Wendigo. The director, Larry Fessenden, merged a story he was told as a child with the scary stories to tell in the dark version of the Wendigo, itself adapted from another author's interpretation. Fessenden admits that he didn't even do research on the Wendigo until after he made the movie. But the image is so foreign and striking, it continues to appear in movies, art, and other pop culture texts. That, of course, was Dr. Emily Zarka from PBS's Monstrum. A great free program over at YouTube that I highly recommend if you're into monsters of any kind. So now we know what it's not, at least, Zack and Aubrey. And I suppose that's something. And thanks again for sharing your entries. Now, as coincidental as having two deer-related entries is, you may be surprised to know that I had several similar calls this go-around. The rest of those, more time slips, Bigfoot, and even a pair of calls that seem to be describing a morphing face of some sort, can all be found on tonight's Beyond episode. More info on that at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast or stick around to the very end of this program to learn more info. Now back to the action with Jeff in the state of Texas. Hey, this is Jeff. I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas, and this is my transportation story. This happened in the 90s. I was waiting for the bus, and I noticed a squadron of uh, fighter jets going into this cloud, this huge cloud system, and then I see this sphere come out, like a silver sphere, and I get on the bus, and there's you know, people on the bus. I sat behind these two guys, and I'm, I'm following this thing with my eyes. And it seems to be like maybe two blocks over, and it's keeping up with the bus. And then it starts getting closer. As soon as we get up towards closer to where I'm going to get dropped off, it started getting even closer, and then it changed shape. And I tapped the shoulders of the gentleman in front of me, and I said, dude, that's not an airplane. What is it? And they agreed with me. By then, it got the attention of all the passengers on the bus. And this thing, it had to strobe underneath it. And as it passed over the bus, it must have been no more than 10 feet above the bus. And right as it passed over the bus, I remember looking at everybody. And all I can compare what it did is when, you know, like when you pass merchandise to a checkout, that's what it felt like it did to us. Because I saw a second worth of like a disco strobe inside the bus it was like i felt like we were scanned so then this thing it passed over us and we were all just looking at it as it disappeared into the horizon and nobody said anything i think everybody was just trying to figure out what they saw but you know i got a couple of minutes left so i'm going to go ahead and tell you this stuff's been happening all my life about a couple of years after that i started working offshore and i experienced missing time three times the one time I was in Orange, Texas, and then the very next second I was in uh, Louisiana, not knowing what happened in between that time, because one second before I was in Texas, the next second I'm in Louisiana, still in my car driving. That happened to me three times going to and from 
And the crazy thing is, I had to go to the dentist when I had missing time, and they found an implant in my ear. So yeah, so uh, those are my stories. I've got more, i got way more, but uh, I'll call back some other time and tell you those stories. All right, well, keep doing what you're doing, man. Love the show. Thanks for hearing me out. Later. Scanned by a UFO. Well, that certainly sounds undesirable. But come on. There are way worse things that can happen to you on a public bus. But all joking aside, Jeff, I hate to break this to you, but it sounds like you might have time-traveled. How else could you explain traveling from Texas to Louisiana without even realizing it? Now, if only we could define time travel. Thanks again, Jeff, for calling in. Now, I should have mentioned this before, but you can access ad-free episodes at patreon.com for only a buck a month. So for one dollar, you can skip all these lengthy ads. Ads that are absolutely necessary to keep the lights on over here at Monsters Among Us Studios. Okay, now, who's prepared for another time-slip experience? It's not all that unlike Jeff's. Well, please welcome Bob from California, because he's got a good one. Hi, Derek. This is Bob in Arizona. Uh, Hey, I've got a story that might work for your transportation show, or maybe not. You can decide that one. No cryptids involved. You know, Bigfoot didn't pick up the bumper of my car, and I I didn't run over a chupacabra or anything like that. Just a a weird time-space displacement. Back in 2011... And in that time period, we lived in Phoenix, my wife and I, and we used to do a trip sometimes three, four times a year to Eugene, Oregon, up I-5 to visit elderly relatives. Done it many, many times over the years. Was real familiar with the highway, and we generally do a two-day run. We would run somewhere up to just short of Sacramento, the Los Banos area, and sometimes, you know, do the second day from there on. We had a normal trip up the first half. We spent the night and got up. It was a Sunday morning, nice clear day, and we headed up the highway. And all the visual cues that I would expect to see were there. There was an aqueduct running along the right-hand side of the freeway north. And just before you get to where the highway splits, I-5 goes north and then another branch of the highway goes over to San Francisco. Uh, There's a rest stop. I think it's at Westley. And that was there and everything was visually just right. It's only about a half mile from the rest area to where the highway splits. And there's large signs there in multiple locations. There's a big one over the freeway and then multiples along the side. It's a normal intersection. You go right to go north up to Oregon, and you go left to go over to San Francisco. And we passed the rest area, and we never passed that sign. We did not pass the intersection. We went on, and within a couple, five minutes or so, we're going, I don't recognize this. I could have sworn we would have hit the intersection by now. And we went on just maybe another four or five minutes, and 
I'm seeing a sign that says I'm on the outskirts of Livermore, California, which is a burb of Frisco. I had gone like 40 miles in 10 minutes. How it happened, I don't know. Why it happened, I don't know. All I know is one minute I was getting ready to hit the intersection and you know, 10 minutes later, I'm 40 miles to the west. And it took us 45 minutes coming back because I timed it to get from where we turned around by Livermore back to the I-5 intersection. It was freaky. We talked about it the rest of the trip north. And there seemed to be kind of a lingering effect in that time just felt funny. It seemed like we were taking longer to get between towns on the highway than it should have taken. So I started trying to measure my speed and compare it to the mile markers. And I'm running at 65 and 70 down the the highway and to go a mile should have been taking me a, a measurable amount less than a minute and it was taking more than a minute. And, you know, I realize that's not a scientific measurement. You know, there's variation on those, but I did it over a number of them as we were going north, and that seemed pretty consistent. And I have no explanation for that. It was just weird. That's the only way I can call it. Anyway, I enjoyed the show. Hope this is usable for you. And keep up the good work, as they say. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Now, I don't know what this phenomenon is exactly, but I do know that if we could harness it, we could sell it to the military for an ungodly amount of money. More likely, they'll just eliminate us and take it for themselves. Either way, I'm not a fan of flying, so this tech could help me considerably. So somebody needs to figure it out. Thanks again, Bob, for sharing that freaky experience. Well, this next one is stretching the definition of transportation, but I'll let it slide. Please welcome Jose from my state of California to the platform. Hey, Derek, it's Jose Hernandez from California. Uh, this is a entry for your transportation stories. I didn't necessarily work in anything transportation-wise. I did work in a car wash, though. So, you know, I did work with a lot of vehicles, moving them along. And so, you know, I guess that counts. So my story takes place sometime last year. I used to work the closing shift a lot. And one of our tasks was, you know, to always, at the end of the night, once we finished cleaning up the car wash tunnel, we would have to close up the gates and, you know, uh, lock the changes so that nobody would get in there or... Just anything in general is going to be uh, nice and clean for the next night. Well, I remember this particular night, I finished cleaning everything. We walked inside and I had all my stuff ready to go. And we would usually wait for everybody to finish grabbing all their belongings from, you know, the, the locker or the break room before we all clocked out and left. And one of the computer screens in the office was something that showed all the cameras. And specifically, one of the cameras was aimed inside the car wash tunnel which, uh, as I previously mentioned, we all locked up already. So I was just staring at the cameras, waiting for everybody to get ready to clock out so we could leave. And I was staring at one in particular that aimed at literally the end of the tunnel, like the corner of the tunnel. 
and I began to see this like white orb. It just looked translucent. I didn't really know how to describe it, but it was kind of moving around, moving towards the corner, and then out of nowhere, it just zoomed out of frame. I remember asking everybody like, whoa, did you guys see that? And I looked over and nobody was there. Everybody else was in the break room or doing something else. And I was the only one that had noticed that. I just didn't know what to think. This is not the first time that I experienced something there at that car wash. I had another instance where there's an equipment room like off to the side of the tunnel. And there is where we had all the equipment, all the chemicals that we used. And for some reason, when you would be in there, it doesn't matter if it was at five o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. There was always that feeling that something was behind you or somebody was following you. I would constantly hear some sort of footsteps or feet dragging, even though I would be the only one in there. I remember one of my coworkers who had been working there for a little over maybe like 10 years, he told me that one day he opened and usually the openers will have keys to unlock everything because we locked them the night prior. He said all of the locker room, locker doors were open and just Material was everywhere, and we wouldn't do that the night before. As I mentioned, we have cameras, and there was nothing there that showed anybody doing that on purpose. So he just remembered telling me that he was scared. He didn't know what to do. But yeah, I mean, I guess you could say it was a haunted car wash. I don't work there anymore, thankfully, because as I mentioned, I was creeped out every single time I would walk through there. But yeah, I mean, that's my story. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. A haunted car wash. You know, that sounds like a great business idea for the spooky season. Have your car cleaned and sparkled by your favorite paranormal characters. Choose your bay wisely. Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, Wolfman. Trust me when I say don't choose the Wolfman's bay. And thanks again for sharing the call, Jose. Now we're getting close to the end here, but not just yet. First, let's hear from Kimberly in Georgia. Hi, Derek. This is Kimberly from Harris County, Georgia. I'm calling about your transportation episode. I live in Catala, Georgia, which is very rural. It's right beside Columbus, Georgia. We moved out here when I was about 14 and there's a stretch of road right beside my parents' house that is about six miles long called Holland Road. Over the years, there has just been a lot of friends and family that said they had seen a UFO on that road. I never really believed it. I mean, I've always believed that there were, you know, aliens and that we weren't alone. But for some reason, when somebody would tell me they seen a UFO, I just was very skeptical. I just assumed that they didn't know what they were looking at. So right after we moved out here, we had a collie dog that went missing and my mom had asked the mailman to keep an eye out to let us know if they'd seen the collie. And the next day, the mailman had told us they did see the collie and it was at a house at the end of Holland Road where the stop sign is. So we went over there and it was a elderly lady that lived there by herself. And I think maybe she had Alzheimer's 
or something like that. She believed that our collie was hers. So she didn't want to give him back to us. So my mom called the sheriff's department and they sent a deputy out there and we were showing proof of ownership, pictures and things like that, and the papers that we had. So my mom was talking to the deputy and she said, you know, she was really sorry that we had to call the sheriff's department to make them come out there and, and do all that. And I heard the deputy say it wasn't a big deal that they actually come to this woman's house two or three times a month, that she is always calling in saying that aliens are in her yard and they're trying to get into our house. So they was out there regularly. I think everybody just assumed that it was just her having the Alzheimer's. But like I said, over the next few years, several family members and friends and different people would be telling us that they seen, you know, a UFO on Holland Road. I've been living here now roughly, I think, 20, 25 years, and I've never seen anything. So it actually happened a year ago. I had decided to go to Columbus to do some door dashing. Well, I was by myself and I had been door dashing for a couple hours, but it was really bad. The restaurants were all shut down because of the COVID and it was taking an hour through the drive-thrus just for one order. So I was really getting frustrated and I just decided to go, go ahead and call it a night early and leave. And when I got close to Holland Road, I decided I would go sit with my parents for a little bit since my husband was working and, you know, it was only like 8.30 in the evening. It wasn't dark yet, but it wasn't light out. It was that kind of dark blue that it gets when the sun's going down. And so I turned on Holland Road to go to my parents' house. And as I'm coming up over the hill... I see extremely bright lights just hovering over the trees, but it was so close that it, it just was like I could just reach out and touch it. I pulled over on the side of the road and got out of the car just to understand what I was looking at. I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It looked like the best way I could describe it is if you took two cars and parked them right beside each other and then cut their bright lights on. It was like four really bright lights that were just hovering. They were just right above the trees, just there, just floating above it. There was no sound. It wasn't humming or vibrating or there was no noise at all. And I was just kind of staring at it like a deer in headlights. Just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I'd I just couldn't do nothing but just sit there and stare at it. And after about a minute of looking at it, I realized what I was seeing, and I thought, I've got to get a picture of this. So I reached in my car, and I grabbed my phone. I pulled up my camera app, and I'm going to take a picture of it. And my camera had like a two-second delay. When you hit the picture button, it actually waits for a second and then snaps the picture so i focus it in i get it lined up on this thing above the trees and i go to hit the button and after i hit the button 
it shoots up and then my camera takes the picture and it's not in the frame this just all I got was a picture of the trees so I'm trying to aim my camera at it as it's going straight up so fast like if you shot a bullet straight up it was just that fast and I'm holding the picture button is taking just picture after picture after picture it's multiple pictures and I just can't get a picture of it it's just moving too fast so before I even get a chance to do anything it's gone it's completely just gone went up into the atmosphere so I get in the car and I go to my parents house and I'm just completely freaking out I mean I'm just beside myself I just can't even tell the story I was so excited and I didn't know really who to even tell. I mean, I didn't know who to contact. And so my mom called the sheriff's department to see if anybody had reported anything. And the operator said, no, nobody had reported anything, but that they would send somebody out and patrol that road. But it was already gone by then, so it was pointless. But after that, I became obsessed. I mean, I just, that's all I could think about every day. And it was a few months after that that I found your podcast and started listening to that. And I heard you say on one of the previous episodes that you were talking about the MUFON. So I went ahead and I reached out to the MUFON people and they got back in touch with me and told me that too much time had passed for them to be able to do a investigation. I actually feel really bad not believing all these stories that everybody had told me because now I'm the person that actually seen something and trying to tell people that I seen something and I'm thinking they don't believe me any more than I believed anybody else. I mean, I, I really feel bad now because, you know, I'm wondering how many of those actually was the real thing. And I'm even kind of wondering on this elderly lady if she really weren't seeing something. I mean, she's no longer there. House has been torn down, but I think about it constantly. All of the stories I just dismissed, you know, it could have actually been something. Yeah, I look out at the stars every single day now. I'm constantly looking. I'm, I'm going up and down that road all the time looking. I also took your advice. and I got the dash cam to put in my car so that if I do see anything again, I'll have it. Thank you. I love your show. Yeah, I just wanted to tell my story. So thank you. Thanks, Kimberly. Now, coincidentally, Kimberly did a photo recreation of her experience. So go to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com and click the show notes tab to have a view. And I'll tell you what, if I had the funds and the resources, I'd open a bureau of sorts, a hotline that records your info and puts you in touch with a trusted local investigator. So pretty much just move on but for all phenomena, and I'm in charge. Until then, one 888 night is the best that I can do. That's the toll-free hotline for this very program. And again, that number is one 888 And that brings us to our finalish entry of the evening. And like many of our best stories do, this one comes to us anonymously from parts unknown. 
Hey, Derek. I'm going to remain anonymous. I wanted to submit a story for your upcoming transportation episode. Don't know if this fits, but I am a helicopter pilot by trade and I have been for almost 20 years now. And in 2015, I was working for a, a utility company. At that time, we were constructing high voltage lines and high voltage towers in rural areas. And we were in northern Utah. It was an early morning flight. It was myself and a spotter. We were going up to survey a new section of construction. And the area that we were flying out of was about 30 minutes flight time from the airport. Like I said, this was a morning flight. Sun was up, but wasn't super bright outside. And normally I stay about 2,000 feet above ground level or AGL when I'm flying. But this particular morning, we were having a good time. I was enjoying flying. So we were kind of buzzing the treetops, which isn't necessarily safe, but we were just enjoying ourselves. And my spotter, I was paying attention to what I was doing flying. We were coming around a mesa, and as we rounded to the left around this mesa, there was a clearing in the uh, cypress or pine trees. And my spotter grabbed me and said, turn around, turn around, turn around really fast. He was super excited. Didn't think much of it, so I pulled up and kind of nosed it around to the left and kind of dove back in towards this clearing. And as I come to a hover on the outside of the clearing and I was like looking around trying to figure out what he was looking at, but I thought maybe he had saw some kind of wildlife. This guy's an avid hunter and that's pretty much all he ever talked about was hunting and outdoorsy kind of stuff. And about that time he points and there it is, there it is, there it is. And the angle that I was looking at I couldn't see what he was pointing at due to the instrument panel of the aircraft. The aircraft we were flying in was an MD-530, and the instrument panel shoots kind of right up in the middle of the uh, bubble-style cockpit. So I was sitting on the left side of the aircraft. He was on the right, and where he was pointing, the instrument panel blocked my view. So I gave it a little left pedal and was able to look around and see what he was looking at. And as I'm sitting there in a hover, can't believe that I'm looking at a 10 foot at minimum. The only thing I can describe it as is a Sasquatch. Uh, at least 10 feet, because I was only about 50 feet off the top of the trees. The trees were maybe 25 feet tall at most. But standing on the edge of this clearing was uh, a Sasquatch. About 10 feet tall, at least 10 feet tall kind of auburn brown hair he almost blended in with the background pretty well and as we're sitting there watching him and this entire encounter maybe lasted a minute and i say that this was a male that's because that's the the vibe that this thing was given off was that it was a male just by his statute and how he was not backing down from you know us hovering above these trees and then uh, my spotter starts yelling through his mic that there's another one and he points and sure enough there's a significantly smaller one probably about eight feet seven eight feet and she has what looked like a young one on her back you could barely make it out from where we were at she moves around behind him and then i noticed that there was a much smaller one probably about four feet tall maybe five feet tall standing beside her and her and like i said this one i'm I'm not sure if it was a female but that's the vibe that was given off she moved behind him and took a few steps and they disappeared into the trees and he stood there and stood his ground and then took a few steps backwards to maintain eye contact with us 
and he turned to his right and two steps into the tree line and he disappeared. Now that's the first and only time I've ever seen anything like that in almost 20 years of flying. I flew with the military for several, several years, never seen anything. I've heard stories from other pilots, but I've never saw anything up until that point. I'd never believed in Sasquatch, didn't believe in it, didn't disbelieve in it, just kind of was a neutral area. And as a helicopter pilot, you know, I'm more of an intellectual, hands-on type thinker. And, you know, I was need proof in order to believe. This was definitely uh, a shocker. This was definitely a slap in my face, more or less, that, uh, you know, thousands of reports that are all over the world. Here I am looking at this thing. My spotter and I talked about it briefly throughout the day as we were doing our survey and we refueled a couple times and went right back out doing our same thing. And each time we made a point to fly back over this clearing. But like I said, it was uh, early morning, so the sun was up. So I'm, I'm assuming that these, uh, these Sasquatch maybe had been in that clearing foraging for food or uh, waking up or making their way to wherever they sleep. I'm not sure because I've since done research and found out that most of the time these things seem to be a little bit more nocturnal than they are anything else so i have to assume that maybe we just happened to stumble upon them foraging for food that morning or maybe even headed there making their way back to go to bed i'm not sure but the part of utah we were in is very remote like i said it was a 30 minute flight time from the airport just to get to where we were going and the aircraft that i was piloting that day is an md 530 um, you know, it's got a cruising speed of uh, just over a little, little over 100 knots. So, 30-minute flight time. We were several miles from any kind of civilization. But anyway, love the podcast. Hope you can use this story. Keep up the great work, man. Thank you. Oh yeah, thank you, caller. That's one of them stories that makes you want to believe. Truly hair-raising and a helicopter pilot. I'll come clean, I did not have that on my transportation bingo card. But I probably should have. Helicopters play a pivotal role in the paranormal. There's no shortage of stories of mysterious black helicopters circling recent cattle mutilation sites. They've also been connected to UFO activity, following or sometimes escorting a mysterious floating craft. And we all know the reputation these flat black choppers have in regards to UFO crashes and landing zones. These thunderous mechanical birds have found their way into Sasquatch lore as well. There's a story out of Mount St. Helens in Washington. Rumor is, after its eruption in 1980, federal helicopters swooped in and retrieved the charred remains of Sasquatch in the area hauling them out in nets hanging below the choppers. There's another video out of Tennessee shot back in 2008 from an airborne helicopter of some thing running across an open field. And some conspiracy theorists suggest that the government also retrieves Sasquatch that are shot and killed by civilians. It's said they swoop in and take them in the cloak of night. And you guessed it. A black helicopter. And another Bigfoot helicopter connection that I can't rattle from my skull 
is a video that was captured back in 2011. And it can be found over at YouTube or in tonight's show notes. But it's titled, Bigfoot Hunted by Helicopter. And it seems to depict just that. Though I'm not sure where the video was filmed, if I had to guess, somewhere here in the West. But the sequence of events captured make it relevant regardless of the location. The video was originally posted by YouTube user Mega Frightful and shows a family target shooting in a vast, partially snowy valley with man-sized shrubs in the distance and grasses in the foreground. The young man shooting takes a few cracks with a 22 rifle before switching over to a shotgun as you're about to hear. All the while, you can hear a helicopter circling low overhead, obviously flying in a pattern that would suggest they are searching for something. As the young man fires the shotgun, the considerably louder percussion spooks something large in the distant hillside. Something dark, humanoid, and on two legs. It appears as though the family never saw the figure scurry across the frame until it was played back. And the helicopter that was circling suddenly comes very near the family. And the strange figure, just moments after it started moving from its hiding spot on the hillside. It sounds as though the chopper is suddenly right overhead before the video finally cuts out. Now normally I don't see the point in playing audio from a witness's video, but I think this one's very auditory. So I think this is going to work. Now before I push play on this truncated version, just imagine, if you will, a massive man-shaped creature suddenly pop up and run out of frame as soon as you hear the shotgun blast. Here is that clip. Okay. Targets. Okay. Oh, nice. Close. Try. You gonna try the shotgun? Whoa. Whoa, that was a big kick. <laughs> you okay, Brock? You okay? Let's see, did you get anything? Ooh. Whatever was going on, that helicopter was certainly interested in something over there all of a sudden. Now, as always, I've linked to this video and most everything else discussed in tonight's episode in the show notes, I know. So go take a look. This video doesn't seem to be as popular as some of the other Bigfoot videos found across the web. But after stumbling upon it a decade or so ago, I can't stop thinking about it. And I won't stop thinking about our caller's story either. But that's going to do it for this special season premiere. Unless, of course, you're a Patreon supporter, or you happen to find the correct Easter egg. Now, I can't express how excited I am for this new season. Thank you again, and as always, for stopping by. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. 
All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you're one of those computer people, hop online and follow us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. While you're at it, be sure to like and follow over at YouTube. And finally, that terrifying score you heard this evening. Well, that's Co.AG Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time. Tonight's secret entry is probably one of those that'll make you stay inside tonight. So Jesse, from Texas, come on in and spill your guts. Hi Derek, my name is Jesse. I'm from Texas. I heard that you were wanting stories regarding transportation. I work for DoorDash in my spare time. And this happened to me not too long ago. It was actually just a few days after the eclipse that we had last month. So I was finishing up my shift for the night. It was around 10 p.m. I live in an area that is outside of a major city, so in North Texas. But we're fairly populated, but we have a lot of like satellite communities, basically. So I was driving down a road. Like I said, it was the end of my shift. I was kind of deciding if I wanted to shut off the DoorDash app and just go home or wait for another order. Uh, I was driving down a road that I had traveled many times doing orders and going back and forth. It's not a major thoroughfare, but it has two lanes in either direction. And it was kind of in this section of the road where not a lot of buildings around. You'll have a community of houses and stores, and then there will be lots of pasture for about three or four minutes of driving, and then you'll hit another community of houses and restaurants and that sort of thing. So I was kind of in the middle between those, and I knew from traveling before that on my left-hand side was a pasture with a bunch of longhorn cattle that were there at least during the day. I've seen them many times, and this time... I did not see the longhorn cattle, but there was an animal that was crossing the road that my headlights illuminated, and it was halfway between the median and going into my lane. I slammed on my brake because I didn't want to hit it, and it looked at my car and then immediately reversed and then went back the way it came and jumped over the fence that was between me and the longhorn pasture. Now, the thing that makes this really scary is, you know, I've seen coyotes and foxes and that sort of thing. This did not look like any of those. My headlights 
did light up its head, and I got a pretty good look at its head and front body. And its face was smushed in more like a hyena's. It also had smaller ears than would be normal on a coyote or a wolf or something like that. I don't think it was a hyena. (laughs) That would be really weird because, again, I live in Texas. The rest of its body shape, it didn't have the rays, I don't know what you call it, the kind of mane that's on the hyena's back that, you know, it like makes more of a triangle. It didn't have that. The rest of its body looked more like a wolf or a straight canine. And it was also pretty large. I have a dog myself who's about 35 pounds. I would estimate that this was approaching 100 to 120 pounds, maybe. So it was a pretty big animal. So my headlights caught it, slammed on the brakes, it reversed, and then jumped over the fence, which this is a pretty high fence. I'm about five feet tall, and I think the fence is maybe my height or a little bit higher than that. I didn't really believe in werewolves or anything like that before this happened. I still don't know if I do, but yeah, I don't know what it was. I never want to see it again because it terrified me, and that's basically it. I just went home after I had gotten myself back together, and I have not driven that stretch of the road after dark since then. Anyway, um, thank you for all that you do. I hope you can use this story. And thank you for giving us a platform where we can call in and share our experiences. Have a great night. Thanks, Jesse. Scary stuff, indeed. And not the kind of thing you want to run into on a dark country highway. Now, at first, I thought maybe she saw the elusive red wolf. There are a few left in the state of Texas. But they have a rusty coat and a very long muzzle. Not exactly a fit to Jesse's description. Then, of course, there's always the Texas Chupacabra. If you have any information on Jesse's story or any of the stories you heard in tonight's episode, please get a hold of us. Until then, thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. Keep it spooky. Have a good night. Now this is where I ask that all non-paying guests step off the vehicle. Hey, we gotta eat too. So that means it's time for us to go beyond. But don't fret, you can easily join us by visiting patreon.com and searching for Monsters Among Us podcast and joining up for that $5 level. Boom, you get instant access to the rest of this journey and 60 plus others. So now with everyone aboard, let's resume our route, beginning with Jack in the state of Missouri. Hey Derek, this is Jack calling from Missouri. I hope this makes it in time for your transportation episode. I had a unidentified aerial command.